listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, so my story kind of begins, I met my husband um, when I was in fifth grade and he was in sixth grade. And so he had kind of a crush on me growing up and I was just very introverted, very shy. So I did not really act on that until high school and we started dating. So for us, we always say that our story is a long story because we've known each other for so long that it's only natural that becoming parents was going to take a while too. Um, we got married when I was 22 and he was 24. And a couple of years after began trying to get pregnant. Um, for us, it was one of those crazy adventures where we got pregnant, like our first try time trying like that month. And so um, it's funny because I find myself very ignorant to that now. Like I thought that was normal and that's kind of how you're taught it goes. So I miscarried um, at six weeks, five days, and we did not expect it. Not that we were ignorant to the fact that that could happen. It's just, we kind of were in this blissful cloud nine. Um, going through it really rocked our world. Um, for the most part before that, I would say I was a very positive person, very happy. Um, I think I lived in a little bit of a bubble. And um, I didn't realize until after we lost that first pregnancy that it was like the first time in my life that like my, I guess you could say like innocence or coming of age happened to me, like where I realized like this is a moment that I'm like having to channel this heavy grief that I don't know what it is. Like I didn't, I hadn't really experienced that kind of loss before and it broke me. Um, my husband was extremely supportive when we were going through it and tried to offer me any help that he could. Um, I just had kind of shut down. And so I lived that way for about five months where I painted a smile on my face for work and for family and friends, and then would essentially come home and cry for my husband. So um, in December, so we miscarried in July of 2017. And in December of 2017, I finally had just kind of hit a breaking point where I called my doctor to see if I could get in just to be seen for like my depression and everything. And that was a very hard phone call to make. Um, I remember like having to work up the nerve to kind of say like, I'm very depressed or I can't stop crying. And I remember like the nurse kind of said, well, is it something you need to be seen for now if you've had it for a while? Or can we, can we wait the 10 days till she can get you in? And, and because I was someone that was so like, let me, um, accommodate you right like like instead of like hey I'm finally letting this out that I'm you know suicidal um I just kind of said sure and then you know just like things like that like where I just felt like everything was out of my control and even like when I was trying to get help I didn't seem to have control of when or how and uh my doctor um helped me out and and got me on medication that I needed to be on for what I found out later on was just kind of a long time coming for depression from childhood on so um, not really understanding big emotions, I guess, as a child who just kind of had everything go in a perfect little bubble, you know, and, um, 
So we went through infertility after the miscarriage for 13 months where we were actively trying to get pregnant. That doctor appointment in December, they found out that a previous ultrasound from after the miscarriage showed that I had like a string of cysts in my ovaries. And after doing blood work and testing hormone levels, they found out that I have polycystic ovary syndrome. And so on top of not getting pregnant, not really being able to menstruate on my own, I was now having to come to terms with the fact that I had something that would maybe inhibit the ability to get pregnant. Um, prohibit. I don't know if I use the right word. That's right. It sounds right. I've, I'm not oh. one to talk, so it sounded right to me. I have a journey of like ovulation medication, um, medication to get a period, constant blood work, trying to be able to get uh, my progesterone levels to be where I possibly dropped an egg, you know, like where they, they kept, just kept trying to check to make sure everything was working smoothly and um, nothing seemed to really be working. And then when it finally was, we just kind of kept missing our window of what we thought was our uh, my fertile window. Um, and part of that was that I miscarried right after we had had sex, like I started to bleed. And so once we thought, oh, maybe this is when I ovulated, I did not want to be intimate because I was so scared that I was going to miscarry again. And so we kind of had hit the final month where they're like, if we don't have you get pregnant this month, we might have to have you see a different type of specialist now from here. And that's when I happened to get pregnant with my daughter. So um, that in itself is a big journey, getting pregnant again after loss. Um, a lot of things felt familiar for me, like sharing the news and you know, being excited, like, and, and kind of that ignorant feeling again, like, like, oh, I'm excited and I want to share this and bring this joy to people. But yet I also don't want to share it because I feel like by sharing it, I'm jinxing it again, like that, oh, I shared too soon. And then we like lost the baby. Right. Um, and so that was just very difficult that and birth and contractions and everything kind of kept coming back. Um, so and that's something I actually talk about a lot um, and why I started this was my first son being born, pregnancy was so triggering. <laughs> like the feeling of being pregnant felt a lot like the feeling of having a miscarriage and I couldn't explain it. It was like the cramping, the pain all would bring it back, you know, looking for spotting. But then birth after loss is so hard. It's something that I work with so many people on because I want them to understand that it can be a trigger. Um, because I didn't know that. And that was really shocking to me. Um, so I definitely, I can understand the contractions alone. It kind of brings that back. Um, what's interesting about what you've shared is how similar <laughs> our stories are in so many ways. So you said you got married at 22 and your husband was 24. I also got married at 22, but my husband was three years older than me. So he's 25. Um, and so it, I always felt like because we struggled with our fertility at, in early 20s, it was almost like I didn't expect it because I thought age was what made you infertile, not just all of these other things that could happen. Um, so I, I definitely had the blissfulness of being like, no, I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I'll get pregnant quick and everything will be great. And that was just not it. We all had health class, right? Where they're like, don't do anything. <laughs> so you're like, you're like, Ugh. my body's going to work. And, and I what what I struggled with too, after going through loss and kind of finding out like things were not going to go maybe the direction I'd hoped for trying to get pregnant. Um, I think I kept thinking I was just broken. Like I was damaged goods, right? Like, like, oh, I'm so sorry to my husband. Like I kept apologizing like that he had someone that it just wasn't working for on my end, right? Like I was, I was the issue. 
Um, and instead of like looking at it now, when I think back on it, instead of looking at it as such a bad thing that I had this, I've tried to kind of channel it into it's part of my journey. Like it just took longer. Like it didn't mean that I was broken. I just had a different path to take, you know, like it, cause you, cause it's so easy to, to just look at yourself in the mirror and say, what's wrong with you? You know, this isn't, this isn't working. Um, but yeah, going through loss was very, very difficult. Going through infertility was very difficult. Everything had its own list of things people would say that maybe would be insensitive or they thought it was being helpful and it just wasn't, or you would be embarrassed if someone would ask, you know, do you have kids yet? When are you having kids? Oh, you've been married for this long. When are you, you know, like it, it just always felt very triggering and, and birth and contractions. Like I didn't know that. Um, my list of people that I knew with miscarriages before I went through it was very small. And I, a lot of them, I didn't find out until after going through it. So to find out like that feeling of contractions, you know, I I requested an epidural. So to be feeling it when the epidural wasn't working, it's like, as soon as I realized what that feeling was, I couldn't get out of my head. I, I sat there and just cried, like, get this. I don't want to feel this. I remember this feeling. This is supposed to be happy. This is not a happy memory that I'm having, you know? And I just remember that like breaking down moment that I had no control to get that feeling to stop because I had my water break. And so that they were, were doing Pitocin to try to increase my contractions to have the baby come out. Right. And so everything was just happening so quickly. And, you know, I had a really great um, staff of medical help that helped me through all of that, but that was rough. <laughs> you know, you're and kind of another layer of pain back every time you think you're in the clear. Right. Right. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, was the feeling of contractions and realizing that it was super similar um, for me, it was triggering in the moment, but afterwards having the hindsight, it was really validating. It really validated that what I had experienced was birth. It was just a, a very sad, uh, terrible, morbid type of birth. Um, and it wasn't, you know, the happy birth, but it was oddly validating. I don't know if you felt that. You know, yes. I mean, it made me realize like, Cause you, I don't, and not everybody talks about their experience with miscarriage, right? Some people don't even know they had one. So I know that everyone's on different spectrums for how that works and, and everything that they go through is valid. Like, I don't think there's one that's like, Ooh, that was easier for you. Like, I think everything right. is different. I, but after like realizing that that pain that I had, you know, when I was in fetal position, holding myself from pain, like that, that was not just me being like a baby about it. Right. Like that was like mm. actually happening to to lose a baby then. So not only are you still kind of bloated from early pregnancy and hormones, and now you no longer have a baby in there and, and battling that body image and the, you know, then later on, like having an actual birth further along, right. Like with a child that, that was born into my arms to then realize that the connection was there. Yes. It it was very validating for what I went through and I think healing, but I don't think it really was at the time yet. I think it took me a process, you know, um, but in a way it prepared me for somebody else going through it that I could kind of tell them like more openly, like, Hey, you might not know what to expect. And this might feel like a lot of information. Do you want to know about it? I don't have to talk about it, but if you have questions, like you can come to me, nothing is too much information. You will not make me uncomfortable. I want to support you. You know, like it, it became this weird and wonderful way that I could just break down any wall that somebody else was going through, which over the years has been extremely beneficial, I think, for me healing and for them to heal too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I do want to go back for a minute to your miscarriage and finding out that you were having a miscarriage. Was that at the first ultrasound based on the gestation is, I guess, where that question comes from? No. So I, um, 
took ovulation when we were trying to get pregnant. And I ovulated on day 35 of my cycle. I was normally someone who would get a period around 40 days. So it was very odd to ovulate so late, but we were like, oh, yay. And then I didn't get a period. So we kind of knew already when I missed the period and then just kept waiting like another week and would take a pregnancy test and kept taking them. Well, in the beginning, they were very faint. So I was like, oh, darn it. You're like, why is this not getting better? But they were Dollar Tree, you know, pregnancy tests. Um, And then when like enough time had actually passed, because we kept going from the missed period while you're supposed to do it from like ovulation, right? Essentially. And so um, once we finally were within that two weeks of ovulation, then I I started getting like positive, you know, very positive tests. And so um, we just kind of did the math off of when the positive tests happened when I would have ovulated. So I never actually made it to the first um, ultrasound. So at least where I'm, where I live, they normally do it around eight to 12 weeks that they'll do the first test or the first ultrasound. So I did not get to have that. Partially, I'm pretty convinced it's because it was like around 4th of July like that we, we actually miscarried. So like, I think there were just a lot of holiday time and stuff with people being off and with me being off of work. Um, and so it was just, I, I always like think about if I would have had like a picture proof to hold, right? Like that I could have had in like a memory case or something like, I don't know if that would have been easier or harder or both, you know, probably would have been both. It probably would have been right. validated, very difficult to see. Um, but I'll tell you every time that I had someone in my life have an ultrasound at six weeks or five days or six weeks and, or seven weeks, you know, if it was always right around that and I would see the ultrasound picture as beautiful as it was to see it, it would be this stabbing feeling of what if I would have had, you know, of course. Yeah. I, I did make it to my ultrasound, but I never got a picture because it was never good. So it was, you know, then they don't even offer you a picture. And I've even had those thoughts of if I would have asked for a picture, would I feel better? But then you're looking at your baby that's not alive and it's just kind of all confusing. And, and I don't know, I think it's just that hindsight of like, I would love to have something tangible, but it it just isn't possible for everybody. I think that's a big layer of grief too, because then you feel like you have nothing except for tests that you've peed on and kind of gross to hang on to, but that's all we have. So, so the weirdest, I mean, or the saddest, I don't even know what this is, but like when I was taking all those like dollar two pregnancy tests and they were constantly like sort of positive, like where they were just very faint, right? I'm going, they're positive. They are, there's a line there, you know? And my husband's just like, when it's a definite positive, we'll celebrate, you know? And that was like when we waited enough time and finally my field went up and it was like, ha, you know, it's finally visible. Um, I drew like this cute little positive proof that we're pregnant or something. And it was like this cute little like baby bottles and little rubber duckies. And, you know, I had all these little things kind of drawn on there and I laid it out with like all the pregnancy tests, <laughs> which was like a crazy, that. there were so many of them. Um, and after we had gone through the miscarriage, you know, and I kind of really hit my low with, with, um, the emotional toll it took on me. At one point, my husband just said, like, the doctors think you will, and I know you will like get pregnant again. So we are going to, this isn't healthy to like hold on to these things anymore. Like this little kind of pile of things that I had, um, that I would look at and maybe cry about, or, you know, that, that I wasn't ever going to have that again. And so, I mean, we don't really talk about it to this day very often, but like, I don't know what he did with it. I think he threw it away, you know, like some of those things. And it was just kind of, a. Um, you can't have it right now, but maybe someday. Right. And there was a little rock that I had that a friend of mine had painted that said love on it. And that was kind of always like with it on my dresser. And he kind of had taken that away too. And I had a picture of like, it was actually when I started miscarrying, when I started getting 
cramping and stuff. I had a picture where I was laying on my mom's lap and she was kind of, she had her hand on my tummy, like, cause I just wanted to stretch out and like, um, feel better. And like that picture I didn't have anymore. Right. Like all these things where it was like, we weren't getting pregnant then for 13 more months where I'm like, I'm not going to get pregnant again. What if I can't like, you know, and now that was my only proof that I ever had a life inside of me. Yeah. Um, and so after we had our daughter, um, so the first one we say is a boy, even though we never had a gender like confirmation, but after we had our daughter, then like our rainbow baby, um, my husband did give me that rock back that said love. And we've always been people that don't really do gifts, but if we do, it's sentimental. And that was just one of those things, right? Where you're like, oh, there it was. Like I did, you know, and I remembered it. It took me a while to like have it snap back what that was from. Um, yeah, but I don't know. You're going to have to redirect me again. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. That's a, it's such a beautiful memory to think of. And it's, you know, it's sad thinking like, oh, well, like I, I rolled my eyes over you're like, cause your husband, um, said that he only believes if it's like a, a real positive my husband said that so many times over the course we tried to conceive for like 18 months um before we we saw a doctor and every single month I was like do you think you see a line do you think you see a line and he's like stop asking me <laughs> so my husband is the same way so that's where yeah. my big eye roll came from because that sounds just like my husband um oh, it's their coping right where they're just like okay oh, we're not yeah self, right like like stop it <laughs> or like you're taking like the the what is that called like cassette like you're opening it to pull the little liner up to a light you know see is it positive I think I see an outline and you're going that's probably where the trace of the groove is that the line appears right. the line you know <laughs> I um, I used to do that I put the flashlight under it I would like download those apps on my phone to like invert the photo and look for any bit of dye I mean um they just they don't get it and I I used to be really jealous of my husband that he didn't understand it um, another thing that you, you mentioned, oh, first I wanted to say, um, because a lot of thoughts come to mind whenever people are sharing their story, the PCOS aspect, and you shared how you ovulated on day 35. And so that made it really complicated to know how far along you really were, but you are told what dates to go off of, which can make it really complicated too. And that's such a frustrating part of having PCOS that I don't feel like people talk about like it's more than just longer cycles um you know or a, a more difficult time getting pregnant or staying pregnant it's like the confusion of when things happen your dates whenever you do get pregnant without intervention um like that that sucks well and they they still go off of like your last period right which right. taking an, everyone has different bodies like i would have been nine or ten weeks pregnant right but i knew when we had times intercourse to know like that I was this far along, right? Or at least I think I do. But like had they have gone off a missed period, I was a 35 day cycle before I ovulated. Like then when I got positive, you know, it would have been how far along that they would have thought, right? So then it's always like, I just don't, which again then makes me feel even more abnormal, right? Because you're not you're not like to the right standard that everyone is when they're checking it or I don't know, it just always felt weird. But I couldn't bleed on my own after the miscarriage. I could not get periods. I had to be induced periods every time. And so, um, when I finally would have, you know, I prayed so hard to stop bleeding after the miscarriage. And then I just wanted to bleed after, cause I could try again. Right. And then I could, I got periods and cycles came back. And so everything has always been like an oxymoron, like where I feel ungrateful for feeling this way. And I feel ungrateful for feeling that way. And, um, 
So I still, to this day, even though we're done having children, like I do not complain about a period if I get one. <laughs> it helps, right? Like it's a different way to look at it now. <laughs> You're grateful that, that a, you got. <laughs> that is a good way to think about it. I don't, I wouldn't say I complain, but I still really dislike, but I more complain because, um, and I don't know if you've struggled with this is one of my triggers is my period. It's bleeding. Like, even though I have two living children, it's been five years since I experienced my first loss. Um, every single time I have vaginal bleeding, I am just a wreck and I have to like coach myself through it. And so I say, that's probably what I complain about the most. Um, but I do definitely think, well, like, okay, at least my body is cycling of some sort, you know, don't know what else is going on. Um, it is, it, it feels like a, it's just a never ending cycle. Um, okay. I really want to get into your books. So your, you wrote a, your first book. And so you did mention, um, you know, with the writing aspect, this also made me think of the question of that you made the piece of art for your husband with the test. So outside of writing, are you usually an artistic person? Yes. So I always was someone that drew like with charcoal, um, more like real life oh. things. I didn't necessarily tackle like cartoony things. So um, when I decided to do like a children's book, which was my second book, um, that was like teaching myself how to kind of do that. Cause I, you know, you're trying not to make it look too perfect because you have to have it be kind of caricatured, you know, and um, well, I guess you probably could have it look perfect, right? Like and realistic, but I didn't want it. I wanted it to be just very airy and kind of and cutesy. Um, so yeah, I was always very artistic and, you know, my dad is very artistic. I don't know past him who was in my family, but I do know that um, my grandpa wrote poetry. My dad wrote poetry. I have a brother and a sister, you know, all of us like love writing poetry or stories or, so we've always been very like artistic in that sense. Um, the poetry is something that I have done my whole life, but more so for like school projects. Like I wasn't someone that just sat and did poetry writing on the side all the time. Right. When I did um, Rearranged as my first book, that one was more like I had gone to counseling after going through the miscarriage. I went to counseling actually when my son was, so I have a daughter who's four and a son who's two and a half. And so when my son was uh, four months old, I want to say like three, four months old is when I finally decided to go to counseling. And so it was like every time I had postpartum, it triggered me into something else. So I decided to start going to therapy, get kind of and everything else. And then I started being able to write. It was like, I finally kind of had the tools for how to like put it into words, maybe what I'd gone through or understand myself what I'd gone through. I don't think I ever could come to terms with what, what it was, you know? Um, and so then I just started writing. And then when I started writing, I realized, am I taking this seriously? If this is going to be something I want to help people, then I better keep writing everything. Like, I don't want it to be where someone who's being told that they're going to have a miscarriage, like is going, well, now what? Like if they actually wanted to read my feel from it that they kind of understood emotionally what you go through or could go through right what I went through so but I kept everything very um open to interpretation for other people too if they were going through something similar um and then the children's book like the artistic part that one I obviously wrote and then illustrated too so that one I wrote before the first book I just didn't think I could illustrate it <laughs> and then I, we ended up getting COVID in December, um, this last year. And I had like 10 days off of work unexpectedly. And like everyone in my house was hit hard and I like wasn't, which can't brag about, but was grateful for in terms of illustrating a book. So I ended up illustrating the whole book during COVID. Like, so, um, otherwise I don't think I had the time with two little kids at home, but, but yeah, it, it's been a passion of mine always. 
Would you mind, because I know you said that you had the books there that you could um, hold up for me. Can you show me uh, the children's book? I want to see the, the illustration. Oh, I love that. Okay, so can I read the name of it? Is that allowed? Yeah. Okay, it's I Love You from Heaven, which I, I am asked a lot for children's books um, for babies after loss. I actually have a whole bunch of them for my first son for this reason of like, it was so helpful to me and I cried as he was a baby and I'd read them to him. So I love that. Um, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love the colors. That was like, when I was doing it, so this was kind of like, I know no one else can see it, but like this is kind of, but I wanted everything to be like heavenly. And so what happened, I wrote the first book to like experience my journey. And like, in general, like I've had people who had miscarriages 30, 40 years ago who like, I didn't expect that to be like, an audience for this book necessarily not that they couldn't benefit from it but I've had people stop me and say I relived what I went through in a healthy way because I could come to terms with what I went through going through your story we didn't talk about it back when I went through it you know and and then when I did the children's book it was more so for like other families either navigating how to tell their other children about it um or like their nieces and nephews you know to tell what happened to them in a way that's concrete you know because it's hard to say oh it's an angel and people don't always or whatever you know people everyone refers yeah. to it as and so I really wanted to capture heaven and not have it be I hate to say sad but I wanted it to be where if there was a family who hadn't gotten pregnant again yet or was still going through infertility um you know at the end of the book I have a picture of us holding a pregnancy test that could also be an ovulation test and it's negative but I have the little angel that is in the picture you know like holding on to the hands. Like I'm here still going through this with you, oh. and so, but I wanted it to be this like spiritual journey of like what heaven looks like and the colorful things that are up there. And then also like the signs they leave down on earth for the for families here that are going through it. Maybe they rustle up a feather or leaves when you're walking past or you see butterflies or, um, you know, you just all of a sudden think of that child. And so I wanted it to be very hopeful and to be filled with laughter. Like where you look at it and you're seeing these kids playing tic-tac-toe in their I have one picture where they're standing up on like a lamppost playing like nana nana boo boo, like where they have their hands on their ears and they're sticking their tongues out at each other because they're little angels gonna fall, you know. Um, and I wanted it to just be something of a tool for people navigating how to talk about it too, you know, and explain it kind of in an easy way um, or a lighthearted way, I guess I should say, not necessarily easy, um, or just be able to open a conversation up to it. So, that one was so therapeutic in a sense that it just brought so much joy. And I still, when I look at it or see my kids holding it, when they read it or friends, kids, when they text me a picture of it, it just like warms my heart. You know, when I hear of people going through the crying and the happiness and the crying and, you know, with the first book, like, and my journey to becoming a parent to a child in heaven and then a child in my arms and then another child, like to have that journey captured and my appreciation for being a parent now to living children how I do not take that for granted, you know, and how it's made me have to coexist with both the grief and the happiness and, and channel it, you know, it's just been a process. And one that yeah. I, I did not think it was going to be something someday that I said, oh, this is why that happened to me. I really thought I'd go to my grave someday saying, well, why the heck did this happen to me and not somebody else? And not that I want someone else to go through it, but why me, you know? Um, but once I kind of put things into writing and drawing and, and all of that, it, it actually felt like there was a reason that I was given the gift to be able to articulate it or to draw it, to bring comfort to somebody else. Like that must've been the purpose of it. Even though I wish I could have just, you know, not had that happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that would have be been nice. 
learned that way, but, um, but also very grateful for the journey, I guess, even though it was hard. It's been very hard. It's a confusing feeling. Uh, I often say I would love to have learned this empathy that I have for people going through pregnancy loss from reading a book. Um, but that is not why I'm so empathetic. And, um, you know, I, I also say that, like, I would love to be doing any other job other than being a bereavement doula, but it's also incredibly fulfilling. And so it is, it's very confusing and very strange. You know, you also have thoughts whenever you have living children after loss of, I don't know if I would have these children if I hadn't experienced loss. And that's another confusing feeling. And so it's just, um, I, I imagine that writing the children's book was so helpful because it also gave you the ability to um, like visualize your child in heaven to where that helped you cope with your grief to have that feeling of maybe this is why, why yeah. me. And so having that visualization is really helpful. Yep. hundred um, percent. I didn't realize, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the poem. I'm not going to read it because I don't know what's copyright and stuff like what, what the, but there's a poem by Billy Collins. I just think it'd be important for your readers to hear. I don't know if you've ever heard on turning 10, anybody who hasn't heard of it, they should read it. Um, I might, I might link to it if I can find it. Okay. Um, so, on turning 10 is the name of it. Yeah. By Billy Collins. And so in that poem, and, and it's crazy because my brother was actually like going for his master's at the time and he, they had to like read it or review it or something, um, or analyze the poem. And then like, it was one of their projects. And he just said, he's like, I just love this poem. I think you should read it. And I remember reading it after the miscarriage and just until then, this might've been a year later. I don't even know when he like handed it over to me to like look at it, but I remember just like reading it and it's all about him coming of age. Like he's turning 10 to his mind, the first big number. Right. And so he's leaving behind his childhood and all the fantasies of being a prince and, um, being able to become a wizard if you drink water a certain way or whatever. You know, like he kind of, he talks about all the imagination and everything in it. And then it goes on to say how, you know, his bike is leaning against the shed or the garage a certain way. And it's, he's never noticed how melancholy kind of that feeling is before. And um, at the very last stanza of the poem, he discusses before turning 10, how he used to believe that if you caught him, he only had like light behind his skin because, you know, everything was shining, like he was happy, right? And then now he knows that if he walks across the sidewalks of life and falls, like that he will bleed. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, I sobbed. Like, I don't even know. I'm not doing it justice. You, everyone just needs to read it. But I remember that I didn't expect it to be like him coming of terms with what he went through with growing up, right? And for me, it was like so symbolic of being happy most of my life, right? Like, or just having this bubble of like, everything's going well. I'm trying hard. Things are working out. I met my husband at, you know, nine or however old I was, right? Like things are happy. And then like, oh, I don't have any control of my life now. Like everything is not going how I thought. And it's very sad. And then like feeling like I had to mature, forced to mature. Like I didn't choose that. I had to grow up very quickly and lose that innocent part of the way that I thought. But when I read that, I it struck me. Like, I know it's not a miscarriage poem, but it just felt so relevant. Like everything I was feeling that I couldn't articulate for why it just messed me up so bad. I just felt like it was finally put into words, but yeah, I def if you can link it somehow, I think you should for your listeners. Yeah, I definitely will. You know, I think it's, it's fascinating that a lot of writing or, you know, even like some grief pages on social media that I recommend to people are not directly talking about miscarriage, but so much of the 
content and of the stuff that you read, you can really tie it to your feelings. And I also think that the grief associated with miscarriage is so similar, but also different than other types of grief, like whether it is grieving your innocence or grieving um, a grandparent, grieving a parent that's passed away, like all of that grief has so many undertones of the same thing that anything that we read on the sadness that we feel in life really ties into that grief. And I think that that's terrifying, but also very comforting that it can be so immense. I think, I I don't know, like you said, it makes you an empath now, right? Like you've gone through loss. So you are in a way that- Way too empathetic. Yes. Um, But I I feel that with people who have lost a spouse or who have lost, you know, like had, had different kinds of loss. I feel like grief just- transcends no matter what you're going feeling of pain if you can like articulate it and how you're feeling if you can you can reach other people right like and it just bands people together you know a lot of people like don't want to read a miscarriage book because they're like I didn't go through that I don't need to read that or you know or like makes them uncomfortable right but then I always think like but I didn't lose my spouse but I can benefit from like learning about someone who did right like that pain and kind of how to comfort somebody or, you know, like, I, I always think like that way too, like it, there's just a lot of benefits that come in terms of relating all grief to other grief. Um, you are empathetic and I really love that you do this podcast. I think you're wonderful. The things I, you do. I definitely, um, you know, I don't think I wasn't an empathetic person before, but I didn't feel as deeply as I feel now to where I could be in complete tears over somebody else's life story that has nothing to do with me. Um, It also makes me fight harder for things that might not directly affect me, but I know affect a great majority of people. Um, So in some ways, I really love that I've become an empath, but I really it is the bane of my existence at the same time because it's so emotionally exhausting. <laughs> but it's a great thing to gain. Well, and and you know, it's um, one part of doing this podcast is is having stories of loss out there and having these conversations because I know I went through my first miscarriage in 2018 and I couldn't find anything. I think I Googled every keyword I could possibly Google for miscarriage. I wanted to know what was going to happen to my body. I wanted to know how to get through the grief and there was nothing. And I was just lost and confused. And so I would love for somebody to literally be looking for stories of loss and find an entire podcast of stories that could sound like theirs. You know, I think that that's, uh, I know something I was definitely missing. Um, And I think the book aspect of it is, Uh, Again, in 2018, I didn't see a lot of books that would come up on like Amazon and stuff. And so to have so many more now, like it's, I I, I never give recommendations and people are like, okay, Arden, too many books, you know, like they're looking for anything that helps them feel less alone. And like, they, I don't know, like they will get through this somehow. Um, And so I love, I love that there's stuff out there for people. I agree. I, I struggled with like finding books to like on, okay. So like in honor of the baby, right. On the anniversary of the birthday or what, or what their birthday would have been. Right. Like where I would be like, okay, I want a book, like a children's book that I can look at or like think about the baby. Like I really battled with that finding a book about that. Right. Like, so yeah, I, but now I think there are a lot more resources. I don't know that five years ago or if there were, they were getting published still. Right. Like, I just think, right. um, you know, five, six years ago, like we didn't have, like we didn't have that, or we had a few, but then, you know, it was hard to like make the choice. Like, do I buy that? Is it something that's going to help me? You know, 
yeah. And the truth is, is, is people don't know if that's something that helps them until they do it. But I do think um, there's something special about poetry. And I'm not an artistic person at all. I cannot draw a line like it's so bad. But writing has always been the way I've coped with um, like many different griefs that I've experienced in life. I've always written through it. And um, I definitely found that more in grief from pregnancy loss. And I love, I love poetry because it's so easy to read it. You can take it in small doses. You know, there's pieces of poems that will speak to you and just, it's easier to cling on to those words. And so I've always really appreciated poetry, um, mainly like sad poetry, but, <laughs> but I don't know if there's really happy poetry. Well, because sometimes it just feels good to let it, right? Like, even if yeah. it's not reading about you're just like yeah like I just feel bad for that person it's like a good cry like you feel like there's purpose more than just crying for what we have going on in our lives right like yeah um, yeah it's it's an interesting thing to just to write about I guess like I still to this day like when I had to like let it out into the world just felt like oh my gosh everyone is going to read about this part of my life like this was a very intimate vulnerable part of my life and even like my mental health like I have very much prided myself in being collected and not professional necessarily, but like have my life together. Right. So to have someone read about me unraveling was very terrifying. Um, and it's when my husband finally was like, you know, you have to look past your little, your little world of people that, you know, and if this could help people past that, then it's so worth it. You know, like even if you feel uncomfortable that people read this about you or that they know now that you had really bad depression or really bad anxiety or you know, all these different things. Right. Um, postpartum problems. I don't know how you were once you had children after, but like my postpartum was awful. Like I had such bad anxiety. And when I hit that depression state, I all of a sudden remembered again, like, oh, I wonder if this is what happened after my miscarriage. If I was going through like a postpartum depression that I didn't realize could be related to miscarriage, you know, like I, it was just so many, many things, but and there's definitely, um, after miscarriage, I believe that people go through postpartum and that they can experience postpartum anxiety and depression just based off of like symptoms and, and things like that, that definitely came to light for me, but that I see in other people. Um, I've always struggled with depression. Uh, I was diagnosed with OCD, which helped me understand a lot of the reasons why I would get so low and depressed because I had all these triggers with OCD. And so whenever I finally had my living son, I was medicated. I had, was already in therapy. I thought I had everything that could like help me fight against any other mental health disorders. Um, but I definitely struggled with postpartum depression, but mine was mainly due to like um, lactation because I had an oversupply. And so the up and down of hormones messed with my already uh, out of sync hormones. And so that was definitely, it was definitely a really difficult time. And it's something that like, by talking about depression, yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's hard to share, but the more we talk about that stuff, the less alone somebody else feels, and then they're going to talk about it. And then the more people who talk about it, the less stigmatized it is. It's the same thing with miscarriage. Like, these things are uncomfortable. It is not fun to admit that there was a period of your life where you thought that you were better off not being alive. Like that's a dark thought. That's not something that's easy to share with the world, but a lot of people go through that and a lot of people feel it and they feel shame for feeling that when it's not necessarily how they maybe truly felt or, you know, even just for a fleeting moment, like they felt what's the point? And, and that's a really relatable thought. Unfortunately, um, as humans, 
I think, you know, I, I talked to my husband a lot about, um, mental health and something I used to say whenever I would be in depressive states is I would reword it that way. It didn't sound so harsh, but I would say, I just want to be invisible. Um, that was my way of saying it because it felt less harsh, but like, I didn't want to not be alive. I just didn't want to be here. And, um, I know that that like just opening up the conversation was helpful, but it was so embarrassing at the same time. So I know throughout life, it's just hard to talk about the vulnerable stuff. I had a weird, um, just feeling general with like, like feeling ungrateful when I went through these emotions after having children again, like where I was like, I prayed for this. I wanted this. And now I can't pick myself back up. Um, you know, to have a husband, like come back after like leaving for work and like poke his head back in and go like, you're not going to harm yourself or the kids. Are you like to have someone like say that to you is like a like a breaking point where I was like, and then to not know, right. To be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, cause I just couldn't pick myself back up. Um, but it's definitely something that when I, when I wrote my poetry book, like I wanted to address like the idea of masking, like of having to like by societal standards, like if you, you can like rate how good your day is going or how well you're doing with healing based off how, happy you can come off to the world around you, right? Like if you just put that smile on and fake it till you make it like, you're going to be good, right? Everyone's going to think you're doing good and moving forward. Um, but in all realistic, like all, like being realistic, like you have to feel it. And, and I think I put it on the back burner for so, for so long. Like people, it's not that no one ever tried to dive into that part of my grief with me. I just was very like, nope, I'm okay. You know, or yep, I'm, I'm good. Right. You know, and, um, and I'm just finding in general, like, there's always a threshold you hit, right? Like, that like makes you have a tipping point. And I think my miscarriage for me was the, was the tipping point. I think I always thought that was the issue. And I kind of realized like, as a whole, I had a lot of things going on in my world that I couldn't come to terms with, I think before all of that. And then that just kind of right. tipped me over and made me actually come to terms with myself as a person and everything that I do to handle difficult situations. Right. Um, but you don't realize when you go through loss, how much it's going to dig up. <laughs> you just kind of think, oh, sure, this is an event. I had it happen to me. I'm going to just pick up the pieces now and buck up buttercup and move forward. Like, this is good. I can do this now, but you don't realize like, depending on everyone's situation, like maybe there's something more you need to like address or like heal from first or just acknowledge or actually let yourself cry it out. You know, not like where I, I remember just being out in public with people or friends and like, someone said something maybe that was insensitive it didn't even have to be the people I was with it could have been someone else um and I would like need to leave and like instead of just staying there and letting people see me cry for maybe 10 minutes like I had to go home then like it was time for us to go right and like I think back till now like how beneficial that could have been uh, for people to see me just let my guard down and then know like oh this is why it's so hard for them this is why like they're not just moving on right away. Like this is what they're going through day to day, you know? Yeah. Um, but then you almost feel like you're living two lives. Like you're like a fraud, right? Like that you're saying yeah. you're good, but you're not. Um, and that was hard too, to go through. Cause it, it felt like I was like having two identities. Um, I'm grateful that I was able to kind of pick up the pieces enough to keep living in terms of like, we stood up in two weddings after, like right after, um, so like the bachelorette parties and the, and the bachelor parties and the weddings. And um, I was pregnant at the same time as another loved one. And so like to watch them welcome their baby when I was still going through infertility after, like, like I was able to kind of rise above 
my pain and truly because I love those people be there for them when they needed me to be right. So, so part of the masking maybe was beneficial in that, in that realm, but, but I also think maybe I could have healed a little sooner <laughs> if I like yeah. had left, right. Um, maybe it wouldn't take many years. Well, and it's timely, uh, the read, uh, the readers, Ugh. The listeners will not be able to see, but I have on a shirt from self-care is for everybody that says keep going. And then on the back, it has a hundred reasons to live. Um, and so I always love like just wearing stuff because you never know who you're going to see. And like, if I were in a deep, dark place and I saw some random person's shirt, give me a hundred different reasons to live. Uh, I know that would be super touching. And so I think, you know, um, these are really hard conversations, but I'm so appreciative that you've been so open. Um, sadly, your journey covers so many different topics, but it's, uh, you know, it's so helpful for people to hear that, you know, one, it's okay to struggle after loss, but also ask for help if you can, <laughs> or like find ways, you know, to cope, but also that having a living child after loss doesn't erase that loss happened to you. It doesn't a hundred percent heal you over. It's just, different and life after loss still continues and you still can carry that with you. So um, I think your story is, is definitely a big lesson for a lot of people. And I am going to, I'm going to link to the two books um, in the show notes. That way people can go and check those out. Is there any way for them? Do you have, you know, social media, website, anything else that you'd like to plug? I'm on, um, I have like TikTok, I have Instagram, I have Facebook, I have like a website. So that's usually the easiest because people can kind of cool. get to it. So that's um, www.personhoffinsberger.com and on Amazon. But all of that, again, if you go to the website is all directed on there. Awesome. I will link to all of that. 